have a good time this morning, and you will be charitable to me because that's a Christian's job. So um, let's open with prayer, and we will get into the word this morning together. Father, once again, we bow our heads because you're holy. It's a fearful thing to be in the presence of a holy God. We acknowledge, Father, that were it not for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we couldn't even be in your presence. We acknowledge, Father, that as we open your word, these are your words. That is sobering to the preacher, but it's also sobering to the hearer. Father, we would ask that your spirit would lead us, that we would be uh, in truth. We would not sway from the truth. We also ask, Father, as this text is a challenging text, that we would be challenged, that we would be open, that the work of the Spirit might be such that we would not leave here the same people that we were when we came in. How could we, Father? How could we be in your presence and not change? So change us this morning. Teach us from your word. Give us a new grasp of your love and your holiness. Give us this experience that we actually see from the psalmist and that we would leave here different. And we thank you, Father, for all you give us. We thank you for grace. And we praise you for your grace. So, Father, teach us now from your word and humble us and give us joy because we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to look at a psalm. Uh, I have, this is a wonderful, wonderful privilege to get to do this because at our church, and, and I'm sure here, you usually know what the pastor will preach. But it's a lot more theatrical if you don't know what I'm going to preach in this case. So I'm going to get to trick you a little bit, except that now I just told you I'm going to trick you a little bit so you're ready for it. But before we turn to the Psalms, I would like you to turn to First Chronicles. I uh, majored in New Testament, so we're turning to First Chronicles. <laughs> you would think that I would uh, preach in an area of my strength, but uh, this message just means a lot to me. I'm bringing to you something from my heart, something that uh, I have preached before and saw the Lord really impress this text that we will look at this morning on the hearts of his people. And before we do, we need to do some biographical information of the person who wrote the psalm. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, it's very difficult to separate a message from the messenger. You you can't separate them. Uh, You might read one of the most wonderful quotes and want to put it on on a t-shirt, but if you found out, for example, it's from Adolf Hitler, you would not wear that t-shirt. The message and the messenger can't be separated. We go to 1 Chronicles because we're going to learn a little about our messenger this morning. Now, before we do, I want to ask a favor of you. If you are a normal Christian, if there is such a thing, Christians are by nature strange. But if you are a normal Christian, you are going to hear the words I'm about to read and immediately begin applying them devotionally to your life. And I have to ask you not to do that. The text in First Chronicle is, is not our text this morning. We're going to look at a psalm this morning. So when we go to First Chronicles and chapter 16 as you're turning... I'm listening for that Baptist air conditioning. This is Berean Baptist Church. I should hear those pages turning. As we go to the psalm, we're going to learn about this guy that we see in 1 Chronicles. And as we look at 1 Chronicles, please, I'm asking you not to apply this text to your life. We're looking at it biographically. We're looking at it exegetically. We're getting a bio like you just did of me that I'm the pastor in Sovereign Grace Modesto that you learned a little about me uh, from the flattering words that the pastor said who obviously doesn't know me very well (laughs) 
He's just extra kind, a lot of charity there. So let's do a biography of our psalmist. His name is Asaph. And you know maybe that name, or you should. First Chronicles chapter 16. Let me preface a little as we look at First Chronicles 16, verse 7. Then on that day, David, you all know David. This is the king David. David, the great king, delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph, his brethren. We already see something special. King David handing Asaph something. Okay? Then it goes on to tell us what Asaph does with what was handed to him. He writes it down and we get the biography a bit. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Now you're right now thinking, yes, I need to give thanks. Don't think that. You're not thinking that. You're thinking these are the words that David handed Asaph. And then I'm going to talk about David and Asaph. You give, you'll give thanks later. Right now, these are the words David hands to Asaph. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Listen to verse 11. Seek his face continually. These words were handed from David to Asaph. Seek his face continually. Remember, Asaph is reading the words of David. King David wants me to do something with these words. These words say, remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Some of us like those words, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always. Do you see that word? Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to the a thousand generations, even the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac. Remember that covenant. Remember it. Remember the promises of God. Asaph is taking these words of David. David is handing him these words. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. And then skip down to verse 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. I almost want to make you read those words with me. King David handing to Asaph, our psalmist of the morning. Put these words down, Asaph. Now this is not the psalm that we're going to look at. This is just a psalm of David given to Asaph. Declare his glory among the heathen. Are you still reading with me? Verse 24, declare his glory, the glory of the Lord, to the outside world, to the heathen. His marvelous works among the nations. And now verse 34, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. King David, the king of Israel, a professional musician, no doubt a beautiful harp player, beautiful musician, hands this psalm to a man named Asaph, a chief musician, and says, make music for that. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a musician. I play music. But I would not want that job. King David hands to Asaph those words. I challenge you this morning, church, to take those words home and think about the music that would fit those words. 
Think about the words themselves. From day to day, his salvation. That's continuous. I understand, David. I've got to find the music that fits day to day. Everlasting covenant. David, I I understand, David, you want me. I mean, the children of Asaph in the Old Testament are called the singers. The professional musicians of Israel. The worship leaders, if you will. Although I don't hold to that in my theology. I believe the pastor is the worship leader, but that's another story. These are the, Asaph and his children were the people, handed inspired words. Asaph himself penned inspired words of scripture. Music. I'm scared of music. I admire you who do it. I love it. I've been playing music for 20 years and I still don't play in church because of passages like this. He is the choir director. He is the worship leader, if you want to use that phrase. I'm just trying to relate. He penned inspired music. He was a prophet. He was a seer. Why does all this matter? Why am I stressing who this guy is? Because you would expect this guy to be strong in the faith. Surely David wouldn't hand music to a cut-rate, second-tier musician. Now you can turn to Psalm 73, our psalm for the morning. This is a guy, Asaph, uh, who we should go to for answers. This is a person who you would trust to give you good counsel. Surely if he's writing David's music, and he's writing music to things like day to day his salvation and declare his glory to the heathen outside of the people of God, surely this is a man we need to spend some time with and listen to and understand. And I think we do find that in verse 1 of Psalm 73. We do find so far in one verse... That guy, Asaph. Look at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds great. It sounds just like Asaph that we just learned about. This sounds like something that the chief musician of the people of God would sing and say. It sounds like somebody we should listen to. It sounds like somebody who sounds just right. That sounds just like Asaph. I know Asaph. I looked at him. I just did a little bio, just found out that he's the kind of guy that David can hand music to. He's the kind of guy that penned inspired scripture. He's a seer, he's a prophet. His children are are the professional musicians of Israel. Surely that sounds just like him. God is good. We could go home and be done. What a wonderful sermon. Thank you, Pastor Johnny, for your drive. We could do that, but there's a verse 2. Where we find out that Asaph is human. And he loses sight of God's word. Look at verse 2 with me. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Wait a second. What happened to our Asaph? What happened to our leader? What happened to the person who could take words from David and pen music befitting inspired scripture? Why is he talking about his feet slipping? Why is he talking about being off track? Why is he talking about envy? The people of God do not envy the wicked. That is the same as saying as John does in his epistle, Christians don't sin. What's happening with Asaph? How could he do this? You might be one of the kind of people that say, at least he's honest. You know, you hear that sometimes. You know, the murderer came forward and told the truth about murder. At least he's honest. No, he's still a murderer. (laughs) 
Here, Asaph is being honest, but he's being honest about sin. He's envying the wicked. Now, who in the room would not say at some point, maybe as a Christian, that you've ever thought something similar? I'm looking out as for me, my feet were almost gone and I was envious at the fools and their prosperity. I looked outside of my own life. I'm the believer. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. I want to please the Lord, but here I am and I look over there outside and I find the wicked prospering. And it bothers me, Asaph says. It gets under his skin. It's troubling to him. And what did he see? He describes for us in the following verses what he saw when he looked out there. And look what it is. It's actually interesting in verse 4 and 5. And I'm not going to go every single verse. I'll jump around a little bit. So don't think I missed something if I skip something. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. This is God's man saying this. Looking out at the wicked and saying... Their, their death is even easy. A good friend of mine in our church, and I mentioned it this morning, battled valiantly with cancer. This is a hero, a pillar of our church, and lost that battle and went to be with the Lord just in the last months. And I see people that have money and reach old age, and they never honor the Lord. They'll even blaspheme his name, as we'll see. And this man of God looks out and says, I'm looking out of the people of God out of the assembly and I see prosperity even their death is easy they don't struggle they don't even seem to have sickness they don't have long bouts of illness they die quietly in their sleep even their death is easy their lives are they have no trouble they're not plagued like other men their bills are paid their children's college tuition is paid for they don't have cancer they don't have financial trouble their businesses are not going under their marriages even look great how can they have good marriages and we don't they have no struggle in death. They're free from burdens. Life just seems easy for them. Surely no Christian has ever done that. They've never looked outside. I don't know, though, if Asaph can stumble. Surely we can. And that's not bad enough. It's not bad enough that here's a man of God, supposed to be blessed by God, remembering, you know, like we do in the New Testament times, that we're supposed to have the abundant life and supply all of our needs according to his riches. And we know all those verses. And if he loves, the, if he clothes the lilies of the field, and we, we claim all those verses real tight that God will take care of us. Yet Asaph is saying, my feet are stumbling. They seem to be doing great. Look at verse 7. It's not enough that they die easy and their life has no trouble. Verse 7 says, Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Verse 10, look at it. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. That's an easy way of saying these guys not only have, and they not only have extra, but they can get everything they want from God's people. They're able to squeeze the system dry and get more and more and more. It's not enough. They, you know, you've heard the phrase, they're keeping up with the Joneses. These people passed the Joneses up a long time ago. The Joneses can't keep up with these people that Asaph saw. They have more and more than heart could wish. They are far more than content. They're fat. They have it all. But why are we over here, the ones 
who follow and serve the living God who is the creator of all things, why is he blessing them apparently and giving them the good things, yet we don't have enough? My bills are barely paid. My children are going wayward. They have it all, and we seem to have nothing. And that's not bad enough. They're actually arrogant about it. They don't just stand out like honorable sinners. Do you know, you know honorable sinners, don't you? People that don't follow the Lord, that are still respectful, that are still honorable, that still do the right thing and have ethics. Not these guys. Look at verse 6. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. That last phrase is so poetic. We know the Psalms are, are poetry and musical. And you think of that last line there of them walking around, bragging, and their tongues speaking about all the wonderful exploits and the things that they've been able to accomplish, the things that they've been able to get out of other people. That lady would have given me $1,000, but I was able to get 1500 out of her. I know it's only worth 3000 what I'm selling, but I can get 4000 I can squeeze every dime out of people. I actually uh, come from a, a line of painters. My, I, I was born with a paintbrush in my hand. You know, I've painted them my whole life. And I've worked with a lot of people who have been taken advantage of in the construction world, especially ladies and mechanics. And these are the kind of people that they don't just rob people. They don't just take advantage of people. They love it. They brag about it. When they're together, they're saying, did you see that stupid person that came in here? They bought this thing for whatever, three times its value. They brag. They walk around speaking highly of themselves and in pride. They wear it like a garment and they're willing to trick and lie and cheat and steal however they can get the things they get to squeeze more and more out of people. And they're proud of it. They don't even fake it. There's no false humility. They don't pretend to be humble. They're happy to show what they've done. And look at verse 11 as though this isn't bad enough. They walk around and they say... How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? They don't just brag about their stealing, about the cheating ways and how they're able to get more and more. They actually will brag about the fact that they don't believe God sees it. God can't know. You know why they would say that? They don't believe there's a God. Can he really know what I'm doing? He doesn't care. If he cared, he would stop me. Now, I hope you've never acted like that where you've shook your fist in God's face and acted like he couldn't see you, but they're saying God will do nothing. He can't stop. So here's Asaph. Asaph, the one to whom God, through David, hands those words, pens scripture. I wonder what that music sounded like. I I can't even imagine how wonderful it was. And this Asaph is sitting there looking outside of the congregation of the people of God and he's saying everybody out there has everything they want death is easy life is easy they heap up more and more they steal they lie then they shout up at God like he can't see them and here I am over here trying to serve the Lord trying to live the good life trying to raise my family trying to be faithful in my attendance and prayer and do the right things and they're the ones prospering You can almost hear Asaph saying it isn't fair. It just ate him up. How are you doing? How are you doing? Have you ever sounded like Asaph? That's a good question to ask yourself.
Remember? This is the same guy remembering salvation every day. Doesn't God want to give me the desires of my heart, Asaph says? Doesn't he want to make me happy? Doesn't he want my life to, to, to be an abundant life so that I can live fairly easily in this life and have my children grow up in the Lord and have my bills paid and then I die easy? Isn't that what's supposed to happen for me, the believer? But my feet are slipping and I'm looking at the wicked and they seem to have everything and I have nothing. They've got it all. Look at verse 12. They have the good life. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. This is the assessment of Asaph. And then, the worst verse of the psalm, if you want to say something like that. There are no bad verses in the Bible, but the worst thing Asaph could say. The worst. And I trust, I hope, that no one in this room ever verse 13s. I hope no one in this room ever comes close to saying or being a verse 13 person. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. It is a waste to be one of God's people. If this is what it means that the wicked prosper and that the godly suffer, it is a waste to be godly. It is a waste to follow the living God. I've cleansed my hands for no reason. Very, very tough for Asaph, I'm sure, what he saw. Same Asaph says, remember, every day. Same Asaph that penned inspired scripture. The same Asaph that was David's right-hand man and his children become the singers of Israel. The same Asaph. Have you ever asked why? Have you ever asked, is this what it means to be a Christian? Now look at verse 14. It sounds almost opposite of what we saw him have to take care of in First Chronicles. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. You ever sing that song? Morning by morning new mercies I sing. I don't know what Asaph's song would sound like, but it didn't sound like that. Surely these are minor chords here. Morning by morning there's chastening for me. Maybe he would sing. Every day I wake up and there's more trouble. Every day I wake up and I feel burdened as though the Lord is displeased and he's hammering me. He's dropping a burden on me. I can't handle it. I feel like I have a plague. It's so difficult to deal with. Not his best life now. His worst life now. It gets worse. Verse 15. If... I say, I will speak thus. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. Somebody asks how my day is going and I'm in this state of mind. And I say, I'm blessed. I'm a liar. Have you ever had anybody ask how you're doing? Surely you're not one of those Christians that comes to church and just smiles and pretends everything's all right. Around God's people who would lift you up in prayer and encourage you. You wouldn't do that here. And they ask how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. But you're not okay. And your heart is burdened and you may even be crying out to God, where are you? Asaph says, if somebody asks me how I am or I'm supposed to encourage anybody, if I say I'm good, I'm an offense, I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. 
I can't even tell anybody I'm having a good day because I'm not. I'm chastened. You don't get out of bed feeling plagued and chastened and then walk out, out at the grocery store and have someone say, how are you doing? And you say, fine. We do it all the time, though. We always say fine and we're fighting with our spouse or we're angry or our car isn't running right, you know. Fine, I'm fine. Didn't your, wasn't your kids just sick? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, we just get so used to saying that so that we don't have to look at the trouble, you know. It's too much to bear. Look what he says in verse 16. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. After all Asaph has seen, he's stood there. He starts off by saying the Lord is good. He started good, you know. <laughs> he, had a, he, he, he started his psalm, right? And he looks outside. He looks out of the gathering of God's people. He looks outside and he says, everywhere I look out there, they're happy. They die easy. There's no trouble in their lives. There's no burdens. Their cars run perfect and pass smog. I say that because I had a truck that didn't pass smog. My neighbor's car passed smog just fine. Their bills are paid. Their kids are doing what they want. Here I come into church and people are counseling me and their Christian kids, baptized kids are telling them they don't want to serve the Lord. The Lord. I have one family in particular, actually, that that just happened this week. Here's a man that wants to serve God, that wants to bring his family up in the Lord, and his 12-year-old daughter says, no, I'm not going to follow God. She's the last one in the family that said no and denied the Lord. And surely my friend is thinking sometimes like this, isn't he? Lord, what's happening? What's ha- I just want to do what's right. I just want to bring honor to your name. And it seems to me, Lord, that the things that would help me do that would be the things that the people outside the fold of God have. Why do they have them and I don't? It's too much. Asaph says, I think I'm going to throw in the towel. It's too painful for me. I even think about it and it burdens me. If I could brag about your pastor, I don't know him well, but I know he's a pastor. And I look through my church directory sometimes and think of all the poor people and pray for them that they don't go through these things, that they're right at that point. They're at the too painful point. They're at the threshold where it's either throw in the towel, it's too painful for me. My 12-year-old daughter says no to the Lord. I can't do anymore. That's it. It's too painful. I've obviously cleansed my hands in innocence. I obviously didn't understand the promises of God because his word says an abundant life. His word says blessing. His word says all those, I mean, the Proverbs alone are full of these wonderful promises that it seems that people outside the fold of God are benefiting from, and I'm not. This isn't just an arrogant envy. Give me more. This is a hurting believer. This is not a man who says, give me more because I want as much as they have. This is a man who has served God and his feet are almost stumbling. Who has had too much. Who has pushed to the brink. He's pushed to the edge and he feels like he's going to fall. Chastened in the morning and struggling during the day and plagued. How are you doing? How are you doing? Because you are the people of God. And God has made promises to you. He has promised you 
that abundant life in Christ. He has promised that you would be supplied according to his riches. He has promised you that all things work together for good. Those are promises of Scripture. We preachers sometimes are undoing all of those verses to to correct them, but we don't need to undo them. They say what they say. God loves his people and blesses his people. But Asaph is saying, where is it? I said, I hope nobody in here ever does verse 13. No one in here is ever verse 13. I hope you take verse 13 as your banner that you will never ever be today. But there is a verse 17. (laughs) There is a verse 17. And I hope everyone in here is verse 17. And you go start talking to other people and help them be verse 17. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Oh, what a difference one church meeting can make. I've been preaching eight years now. Not one time in eight years and the hundreds of sermons has anybody ever said, I wish I hadn't come today. What a waste of time that was. I was thinking about sleeping in. I came to hear you preach Sloan and I wish I had stayed home. And I'm not even a good preacher. Imagine if I was good what they would say. My little girl's name is Pearl. She's over there. There, somewhere. Little Pearl is named after a big Pearl. A lady named Pearl Merritt. Pearl Merritt, seven or so days before she dies, is remembering the, the children's names at our church. How is so-and-so's children? What is, her, she was aptly named Pearl. She was a Pearl. Here she was in her 90s, close to death, never regretting one moment of walking with the Lord. But Asaph had to go somewhere to get reminded. What if Asaph stayed home that day? Now we know a good Jew wouldn't have done that. (laughs) He would have been in the sanctuary of God. But how many times, Christian, have you felt, oh, just not today. Had a long day yesterday. It was difficult. uh, I'm real tired. I had to work overnight. I I know I could get to church, but you know, I'm going to be tired. I probably wouldn't enjoy it or pay attention anyway. What a difference one service makes. Can you think back on the times in your life where one service, one Bible study, Pastor Smith talked about Sunday school this morning, where one smaller group, maybe you guys have a Bible study or a Sunday school class, where one thing that was said, one of those nuggets, you know the kind of nuggets that never leave you? What if you missed that one? And the worst question is, if I could get under your skin a little bit, is it okay for a preacher to make you feel guilty? What have you missed? You don't even know. You don't even know if months ago the service you thought about coming to and didn't, there was something in that service that would have equipped you and strengthened you. Thankfully, God is sovereign and takes care of us in those things. But I'm challenging you. What a difference one day in the sanctuary makes. This is the day that Asaph goes and he hears hopefully a better preacher than me tell him, the wicked will have their end. And maybe he himself preached that message i don't know <laughs> he was a teacher a prophet until i came i went into the sanctuary of god then i understood their end and look at what it says in verse 18 you remember how verse 2 tells us that asaph's feet are slipping he says my feet almost stumbled you get the idea i had a friend when i preached this another time right after it or maybe just before it that was before it because i mentioned it in that sermon 
<laughs> I go to my friend's house and he's got this walkway up to his front door that on either one side is the, a planter and on the other side is like these bricks. And because of that, it would catch a little water, you know. And so it had some algae in there. I couldn't see that when I was walking up. But when I hit it, it was like hitting, like I was on ice. And my legs started doing this and I was trying to get my footing. And I did the thing like in the movies where my feet went apart and I caught myself. They stopped at the bricks. I didn't fall. But I couldn't help but think of these slippery places in the Bible when that happened. Because we, you know, we, the, the uh, disabilities folks and all of those things, we're really safe about these things. We have non-skid steps, and, and so we're really safe. But uh, my friend Bill's house was not very safe. I slipped like crazy there. So now you look at verse 18 with that in your minds. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Do you see his foot almost slipped? Their foot will slip. He almost fell. He almost gave up. The pressure almost crushed him. But then he heard again from the Lord. He was reminded again of the Lord's love for him, of that everlasting covenant, of that promise of God to the people of God. There in slippery places, they will be cast down. Look at verse 19. How they are brought into desolation. As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Their end is destruction. I almost fell. They will actually fall. My feet almost slipped. Their feet will slip. And this description is very vivid of waking from a nightmare. I don't know about you, but uh, I could wake up and if my six-year-old is standing in front of me, it scares me. <laughs> that has happened, you know, with my son just standing there. He's, he's 10 now, but just kind of looming over me, you know, like, what's he doing there? Did he get some idea in the middle of the night that this is it, I can get rid of the old man, you know? But I don't know about you, you get startled by a noise at night, you get uh, scared. I remember we used to have a, a dog, and this dog one evening was going crazy, just barking up a storm, and my wife came in which, you know, just terrified. And the dog was barking, so she thought there was danger, but I didn't hear it, you know. I slept like a rock. And she would say, why aren't you waking up, you know. She was terrified at night because she was awoken by something that scared her. Now I want you to imagine you were these wicked men walking around bragging. God can't see me. I can steal, I can lie, I can heap up for myself, I, can, I have judges in my pocket, I can trick the IRS, I can trick the, 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 my customers and clients, I can fool anyone, I can lie to my employees and steal from them. I can actually sell things that will make me get government money later. <laughs> I can actually rob and lie and cheat and steal, and no one sees it because there is no God. No fear for me, I'm fine. Asaph says, oh, yes, there is. You got, there's a wake-up call coming for you. And just when you think you're safe in your bed and snug at night, you're going to open your eyes, and it will be the living God standing over you in judgment. That dog of mine was nothing compared to this. The fear of waking up and having an angry God standing over you saying, I did hear you. I heard every word. While my person was over there lamenting and having trouble and struggling and asking for help, you were bragging about your sin. You were defying me. You were shouting to the whole world that there was no God. Here I am. I would not want to be that person in that day. 
we actually see the rebukes of the Lord to his own people. Think about how he spoke to Peter. Think about how he spoke to Job. Imagine the way he's going to speak to the wicked who brag like that. This tells us something, by the way, that you need to take with you if you didn't already know this, is that no one is neutral. Everyone has a relationship to God. It's friend or foe. There is no one neutral that doesn't have a relationship to God. You are either his enemy or you are his friend. Asaph felt like an enemy, but he was a friend. These people are enemies, and they will slip and be destroyed. Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There are only friends and enemies. Jesus himself said, if you are not with me, you are against me. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness, John says. Ignorance is not bliss. These guys weren't ignorant, but in case you thought there was a neutral, you need to know there isn't. Now, what's interesting to me is what happens next. We're getting close to wrapping up here. It's interesting to me what Asaph does next. Because this is that kind of message. It's imprecatory. We get the idea that, uh, yes, the the bad guy gets smashed because that's the way we like it. We like our villains to be clear and wear the black hat and our good guy to be clear and wear the white hat. And then we want the white guy to kill the, the, the white guy, white-hatted guy to kill the black-hatted guy. And that's clear. Bad guy dies, everything's good. Yay, good guy. That's the way we like it. We like our stories to be good guy win, bad guy loses. That's not what happens. Asaph doesn't say, now that I know their end, I'm so happy they get destroyed. I'm so happy that God will crush them. That makes it all better for me. I understand now. They get destroyed. I was scared there for a minute because I thought they were going to get away with it. No, look what happens next. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and arrogant. I was as a beast before thee. Wait, oh no, 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 Asaph. Calm down, buddy. Calm down. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're one of the good guys. But Asaph is telling us something here that he realizes that he was wrong to think what he was thinking. It is never right to question God. It is wonderful to ask God questions, but it is never right to question God or doubt God. All his ways are justice, Deuteronomy says. Everything he does is always right. So Asaph is recognizing, how could I question you in that way? How could I doubt you? How could I ever think that it was better for them than for me? He was grieved by his doubting of God. And God does not say to him, everything will be fine. Asaph needs the wake-up call, and I suggest we do too. As a matter of fact, that might even be the point of the psalm for us, is that we get that wake-up call and recognize that we're not supposed to question God in that way. And Asaph is telling us, oh, I was like an animal. I was stupid. Don't tell the kids I said stupid. We're not supposed to say that. Nevertheless, he says in verse 23, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Doesn't that sound like Asaph? We're back to Asaph again, aren't we? I'm continually with you. You're with me. You're holding me by the hand. I can't slip if you're holding my hand. The Lord's not going to hold my hand and then have me fall. My feet won't stumble if the Lord holds my hand. And it's my right hand. That's the honored hand, the strong hand. He's got me. He will not let me go. You hold me continually. What was I thinking? I was so ridiculous to think that I was like an animal. You almost get the picture, don't you, of a kid looking up at his dad like, oh man, I almost just went out in the street and got smashed, but you were holding me and thanks, dad. 
Thanks for bailing me out of that one. Verse 24 in the first part, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Who was Asaph believing before? Who was Asaph listening to before he went into the sanctuary of God? Himself. Asaph saw and made the judgments based on what he saw. This might tell us not to trust ourselves. This tells us to trust God's counsel. To get where God is speaking, I suggest that's church. To listen to him in his word and then to heed his counsel and don't make your own assessments. If you've ever made mistakes, you're not a trustworthy resource. Trust God. Listen to his counsel. Let his words be your decisions. And afterward, receive me to glory. Not stumbling, not falling, not to destruction. My feet will not slip. You're holding me by the right hand and you will receive me to glory, verse 24 says. I'm not only not in danger, I'm in the safest place possible in the hand of God. (laughs) How could I have ever doubted him? Now verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What's interesting to me is what Asaph doesn't say the alternative is to the trouble. He doesn't say, well, I have trouble in this life, but in heaven, it'll be way better. In heaven, I'll get all those blessings that I thought I was being robbed of. He doesn't mention anything at all except that God is with him. It is good that God is near me. That God is his portion. That a relationship with God is the alternative to the destruction. Not bad here, better there. No, it's bad here, good in the presence of God. Good to be in relationship with God. Good to be forgiven by God. Good to be loved by God. That is his portion. That's what brings him blessing. In case you didn't know this, if if God wasn't in heaven, it wouldn't be heaven. We are so busy telling people about the place of heaven that we forget the person of heaven. It's heaven because we'll see Christ face to face. That's what makes heaven heaven. If he's not there, it's not heaven. It's just another place with clouds and whatnot. You don't want to go there if he's not there. You want to be there because he's there. That's what Asaph is saying. You are my portion. It's good for me to be near you. It's not better for me than it will be for them. The the thing that they are missing is the relationship with the living God. I have that, so I'm okay. That's what Asaph is saying. Have you ever felt like Asaph, if you're honest? How come they have it all, and how come I have little? Or... You can't see what you have in Christ. Maybe it's not you're all the way close to stumbling, but you're headed in the direction. You, you, today you got up on Sunday because you get up on Sunday. Not to be in the presence of the living God. It's just I go to church. I've been going to church my whole life. I'm just doing that, you know. But if it gets hard, I may not do it. You don't want to be close to the edge. Don't flirt with that edge where your feet can slip. Stay in the sanctuary of God. Be in God's presence. Acknowledge that the best thing for you ever is to have God as your God. To be in relationship with the living God through Christ. Paul says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is, you know what it says, class? 
Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I would not. I think that's funny that Paul had that dilemma. Very few people will just go ahead and choose, well, I don't know, live or die. That's a pretty clear decision for most people. Most people already have decided living is the better one. But Paul is saying, boy, if I die, I'm with him. If I live, I serve him. But he didn't have this third option of if I live, I got to put up with this world. He wasn't waiting around at a bus station for heaven. I'm with Christ alive while I serve him or I'm with him face to face when I die. And I suggest that is the best benefit you could ever have. So if you're a Christian, have you ever doubted God in that way? And if you have, learn from Asaph. And if you're not, if you're not a believer here today, you have a wake-up call coming. And you have a relationship with God as his enemy. And there's only one thing for you to do, and that's to turn from your sin. Repent of your sin and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't deny him and think you're getting away with it. You're not. Don't play with God. Don't act like you're fooling him, because you're not. And for you believers, I heard somebody say this once, and I won't tell you who, because uh, oh, Bob would be okay with it back there, that uh, it was a rock band that said this, so don't, don't hold that against me, okay? If you're a believer, well, maybe I'll go the other way. It's better that way. It's more dramatic. If you're an unbeliever, live it up, because this is as close to heaven as you get. But if you're a believer, hang in there, because this is as close to hell as you get. And I think Asaph reminded us of that this morning. We know their end, and we are near to God. Let's pray. Father, now as we dismiss, we would ask you to bless us and apply this scripture to us. Forgive me for my stumblings. But, Father, teach us from your word to be trusting you and not doubting you, to have confidence in you that you will do what's right and you love your people. And we will thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.